calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. I would love to see a sexual Judy Dench, please. Well, she, you know, is there is a scene where she's in a bathtub kind of like going over, you hear like the voiceover of her going over her diary and her mind. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And she mentioned something, you know, if you, you set up your whole day to bump into somebody at the laundrette, do you know, just so you can get a sting in your groin. You know, I think that's like as sexual as it gets. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but, um, but not that much. <laughs> I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Diking out, diking out, diking out, diking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that wants you to vote like your gay marriage depends on it. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali. And today we are Diking Out with actor and writer Lisa Haas about shame. Stick around for that fun. Uh, remember that you can go on Etsy to buy some Diking Out merch. We have a Diking Out you hauler fan listener pack whatever you want to call it with enamel pins stickers tattoos uh all that fun stuff that's uh etsy.com slash shop slash diking out and also remember to join our patreon you can get ad free episodes you can join our exclusive facebook group and all sorts of other fun stuff at higher levels uh we will pimp you out on our instagram and we're going to have our first Patreon uh, virtual hang for people at a certain level at the end of the month. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And lastly, remember to rate us on iTunes because it's good for our self-esteem. How's it going, Melody? Hey. Hi. <laughs> Hi. What, what a week. I know. We've both had some crazy weeks. And we mention it in the actual interview portion, but with regards to 2020, when it rains, it pours. And it's just been a shitstorm of um, life. Yeah. Since we last <laughs> recorded, uh, Cecilia went to the emergency room right after we last recorded last time and then uh, had a bacterial infection um, in her pelvis and then was in the hospital all last weekend, 
came home, was doing okay, and then her fever came back. So, like, as we were recording with Lisa, Cecilia was on her way to the emergency room again, which, Mm -hmm. because of COVID, I can't really join her there. Was waiting to find out what was going on. It was very stressful. She had kind of a a hectic time in the ER and was pretty sick. It it was very scary. Then they decide that they're going to operate on her, which happened today and and she's fine but it's like after after all that that I like finally have a moment I'm like you know what I'm gonna like do the dishes and kind of clean up around the apartment things have been crazy and then I get the notice on my phone that R2B's dead and I'm just like cool 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 great (laughs) everything is awesome I didn't know for hours actually a diking out listener had dm'd our account the news and that's how I found out I was um I've been working a freelance job you know just (laughs) that dealing with that last night Friday night yeah and I was like oh let's check the dms oh no oh god (laughs) like not as severe as Cecilia but Allie had food poisoning for the last few days and we've been dealing with that a lot of that. Yeah. So gross. I feel like somebody put a hex on us. Oh, yeah. I got through my back out. Yeah. With your back being out, were you able to watch any of Ratchet on Netflix? Oh, my God. I was devastated about the RBG news. I read all the quotes and articles, and then I was like, I need to get off my phone. And I watched the first episode Last, I actually worked, watched the first episode and a half, and I did fall asleep in a weird position halfway through the <laughs> second episode. When you say fall asleep in a weird position, was that with your hand between your legs? Because Sarah Paulson's so hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Cynthia Nixon yeah. was doing it for me, too, with her big dyke energy. I don't know. No spoilers. I've only seen just so much, but it's pretty yeah. gay right off the bat. There might be light spoilers. I don't know. I am on, I think, episode... I think I've watched the first five episodes now because while Cecilia was in surgery, I was just like waiting at the hospital watching Ratchet. Nothing like watching a show about a medical malpractice in a hospital. And I loved seeing there. there is a scene where they go to kind of like this lesbian bar in the woods, which like I want to go to there. That's second episode, right? Yeah, that's the second episode. Okay, I, that's I saw that. Yeah, and fun fact: a couple of U-Haulers were extras in that scene. Oh, that's the scene. Yes, yes, yeah. What a fun shoot to be extras on. Just like, oh yeah, we're gonna do this scene. It's a Leslie bar in the woods. Cynthia Nixon and Sarah Paulson are gonna walk in together. Like, hello. That's the dream extra job. You know, I have kind of a love hate relationship with Ryan Murphy. I know you do. Well, I know it's not all positive. No. No, there there's a lot of negative and he didn't write it, but he produced this. It's like a Ryan Murphy vehicle. It feels very Ryan Murphy esque and I don't know. It's like just the way lesbianism is represented in all of his stuff. Yeah. You know. 
it, it never paints it in a good light, which will play into the conversation that, that we have later. But it's just always something that like is either used to um, manipulate or it's something portrayed as being like very shameful. And like rarely is it just like cool, casual, uh, queer lady stuff going on. But, yeah. but then again, all of, you know, it's like all like murder, American horror story, right? That's just a weird thing. So everything's kind of going to be demented. There aren't going to be right. really happy storylines. No one's going to be painted in in a good light. Yeah, I don't know. I loved it. It is beautiful. Like it is a gorgeous. It is show. I, I'm enjoying watching it. I'm yeah. enjoying watching it more than I do other things like there are some shows of his that I've tried to watch and I've just turned off like the politician and Mm -hmm. I did not make it far in that one Sarah Paulson as Ratchet it's actually a really great character and there is some really funny role play stuff that she does in it and I don't know it's weird and it's funny and it's she looks great and it's great to she look looks and so Cynthia good nixon. and yeah. sharon stone yes and i've said it already cynthia nixon taking yeah. her on an oyster date are you kidding oh. me just open yes. your lips like come on um yeah the the oyster date scene is probably the gayest thing like i haven't finished it yet yeah but that's I'm the gayest sure thing i did this even week. if they even if they scissor which it hasn't happened yet if that's a spoiler or an unspoiler i don't know but they haven't scissored yet uh but they did eat oysters together mm-hmm. and that was possibly more sapphic than like just a full-on scissor scene yeah at that point, I was really exhausted and falling asleep and just like just fighting to stay awake for that. Yeah. And then like I have video on my camera roll that I found this. Like I was just like, please just remember it <laughs> to talk on the diking out. <laughs> if, if you look on our Twitter and Instagram, I did take some fun screen grabs with oh, yeah. uh, some of the closed captions of uh, how lesbians are talked about on the show, <laughs> which it's kind of funny. I do love the dialogue, too. When Sarah Paulson said, I truly don't mind waiting. I have nowhere else to be. (laughs) I felt that. I like the part in the... uh, (laughs) It was in the trailer where she was like... Or the one nurse is like, what are you going to do about it? And then she doesn't say anything. And she's like, what, are you deaf? And then she's like, no, I'm just thinking about all the things I'm going to do about it. It's like, ah! So creepy. So good. I love it. It's great. It is great i have to admit the reason i was so tired watching it and didn't get to watch as many as you is because i was watching pen 15 which also premiered on the same day ah so with all the shittiness in the world and in our personal lives we do have very good television at least yes yes very thankful for pen 15 i need to get on that season two i've actually been watching also um i'm sorry And it's Mm -hmm. such a funny show. I can't believe that I haven't seen it until now because the humor in it is right up my alley. And there is an episode where Lizzie Kaplan plays a lesbian mom. (gasps) Wait, does she? Because I will watch this show now because she is one of my biggest... I knew it. I knew that would get you in. Oh, my God. I you in with Lizzie Kaplan as a lesbian mom. I'm showing you my goosebumps in the Zoom. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love Lucy Kaplan. Well, yeah. I didn't know that. I was planning on t- watching it because we have yeah. been talking about it. But 
it's expedited. It's expedited yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a lot of fun. Lots of good media news to counter the bad media news. Uh, the first uh, out black lesbian to join Saturday Night Live, though someone was countering that. So Punky Johnson oh. is a comedian who was cast on uh, this upcoming season of SNL, and that is very exciting and Southern lesbian. As a featured person, yes, Southern lesbian, because uh, Sam J is also a black lesbian, but writes for SNL and isn't on camera. But Punky Johnson was apparently not the first technical black lesbian to be uh, on the show to be a repertory player. That was Denitra Vance, who was on the show in the mid 80s. She was not out when she was a cast member. But then came out afterwards and was very out. But that's cool that now, I guess times are changing, mm-hmm. people. So now we can be out on Saturday Night Live. And now between that and Kate McKinnon, I feel like the gay content has got to be through the the roof. I think there's just going to be, they're really going to play up. Eventually, Saturday Night Live, I hope it just morphs into a, a big gay sketch show. And then Kate can just go back to where she started. I'm sure that's not what she's looking for. Uh, and then Cecily uh, comes out and it's just like, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't care about the men. You know, they... They can they can identify however they want, but if if all the women would come out as queer on SNL, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, they announced that Madonna's uh, biopic is coming out. Uh, that Universal picked it up, and I know that you don't care, Melody, and <laughs> neither does do any of our listeners under the age. Did of you look at my 34. face to know that? No. Okay. I, I went into this knowing that this would not be important to you at all, but I'm going to talk about it anyway uh, because because I was like actively like just hold a straight face <laughs> <laughs> for the Madonna. T- Madonna had been posting some posts on her Instagram of her writing with Diablo Cody. So she's co-writing it with Mm. Diablo Cody. And then she's going to direct it. And I kind of, I don't know, I have a love-hate relationship with with Ryan Murphy, with uh, (laughs) Diablo Cody, because I uh, love Juno. Um, I hate Tully, which I know I've talked about on this podcast. You have? Not while I've been a co-host, because Tully, Tully, Tully. Uh, I've had a friend movie. I've had a friend reach out and be like, you have to watch Tully. It is so amazing. So Allie and I put it on, and my sister was over at the time, and we all definitely didn't smoke weed. (laughs) I'll say that on the record. (laughs) And Melissa, my sister and I were just like laughing at how ridiculous some of the lines were and we were not taking it seriously at all. We had no idea Allie was on the other end of the couch taking everything so to heart and maybe it's because she related to like the mental illness of it all, right? Is that? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely mental illness in there, (laughs) but it's... Is there a suicide attempt? Or is there suicide themes? I'm trying to remember. It's either that or like bipolar. Like it's something that like made Allie connect. And Melissa and I did not like it. And we just kept like trolling the movie. And to the point where Allie got up 
like like stood on a chair almost like and screamed at us and was oh, like wow. had to leave and take a bath and wait for my sister to leave so that she could watch it in silence by herself. This is my least so favorite such- thing about Allie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Allie, I know you're listening. I'm sorry, but I, I was, yeah, she's definitely I've been on board listening. with everything about you uh, that I know until this point, and this is like two strikes. <laughs> why don't I remember it fully? Because I was trolling it the whole time. That's why. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I was surprised when I realized that uh, Diablo Cody wrote that. What a mess! Because I do. I love Juno. So much. And then, you know, it might be a perfect match because I also have a love-hate relationship with Madonna. Uh, Madonna is like 99% cringe for me now. And (laughs) not known for... She's directed a a couple movies before. It's not a good thing. But I am excited because I wonder who they're going to cast. And you're still not excited. I'm getting really (laughs) hype over here. But... I was like, what if they cast her daughter? And that's like her daughter's Could you big imagine? debut. <laughs> that's such a mind fuck. Wouldn't that be crazy? Like, it's crazy enough that I think that Madonna would do it because she has like no sense of like what's appropriate. I yeah, can't, we've like, learned I that can't over imagine, the last few months. Yeah, like to play your, your own mother and then have your mother directing you on it that just seems like a recipe for disaster but also she does look a lot like her mom she also sings and acts and went to the performing arts school the LaGuardia school the performing arts and whatnot but she hasn't really been in anything so this seems like this is the opportunity and if that ha- like I'm going to see it regardless, but if yeah. that happens, I'll be very excited. I also thought it'd be really funny if they casted Lady Gaga, you know, Ooh. after all the drama. But well, they're going to have to cast several people, right? For different. I don't know. I think Madonna would is her just going to cast an 18 year old and have that play her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they would cast the same person to play young Madonna and old Madonna, and then they would need somebody to play like um madonna from like 30 to 45 before she got the plastic surgery yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i don't know it'll be interesting but i'm excited for it and let's just i'm excited for you that it's better than tully you know oh (laughs) let's just hope so between all the horrors this week what's the gayest thing you did well once all the vomiting stopped on Allie's end, and once I was able to stand upright on my end um, with the back, we finally made it out of the apartment this morning. We went to the farmer's market, and it, I don't know. I haven't been to a farmer's market in so long. Is that gay? Was there composting there? I mean, there were a lot of lesbians there. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Now I'm just like curious. I just see lesbians around. I'm like, are they listeners? Tons of lesbian couples holding hands. Yeah. Ask them and hand out our business cards. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did finally start packing our business cards in yes. my wallet. Yeah. Stick them inside the fruit. Yeah. Just find the gayest fruit and vegetable. <laughs> Stick them in the what peaches. What is the gayest fruit? Peaches, right? Peaches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pitted fruits. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We, um, yeah, there's like at the Brooklyn Prospect Park, Grand Army Plaza, Farmer's Market, a lot of food vendors, and then just like, you know, clothing, oils, 
we um, stopped at a stand and got some Black Lives Matter tanks. And the guy selling them to us uh, was really funny. And we were like cracking jokes with him. And I think tanks? you could see tanks, tank tops. Oh, <laughs> what do you think? We got some Black Lives Matter hanks. No, like a tank, like a. Oh, <laughs> we got a Black Lives Matter tank for yeah. a Black Lives Matter balloon. We're going to fly around until an NYPD chopper shoots us down. <laughs> right. I'm like, what's what's in the tank? No, tank tops, girl. <laughs> this is where my mind is at. I'm not oh, yeah, even... This is 2020 uh, chain of logic on your yeah. end. Actually, the first thing that came to mind was like military tank because I'm Tanks like, it's the end war? of democracy. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I guess if you're um, starting to stockpile arms, that's great. You and Allie just... No. Today, Allie and I tried our best to forget it was the end of democracy and okay. we did not go on social media and we great. walked straight to that farmer's market and just really got... Just set our sights on herbs and anything, you know. And social justice merch. Yeah. <laughs> we have Black Lives Matter tank tops. Um, and the guy was really funny selling them to us. As we were leaving, he kind of stopped us and was like, just so you know, I got some pride tank tops coming in next week. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Is the dyke energy palpable <laughs> in our like farmer's market garb, like matching like flannel and leggings and hats and just with our tote bags of produce? Like, yep. <laughs> Thank you for the heads up. We'll be back. Of course, we'll be back. <laughs> so that takes the cake for gayest thing of the week for me. How about Great. you? Tell me about your week. If I have to think about everything I did, uh, I mean, besides showing up to the hospital in like a collared shirt and velvet blazer and my glasses and really looking just like Cecilia's husband. Uh, yeah, with my short probably hair. made things easier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Cecilia <laughs> loves the way I look in this velvet blazer I have. So I wore it uh, to see her in the hospital <laughs> today. So I was very formally dressed. I looked like I just came out <laughs> of like a new business pitch or something. Uh, <laughs> but you no. bring some cards to the hospital. Some diking out business <laughs> cards, please. Right. I should. <laughs> I should leave them in all the rooms. <laughs> <You're> like, bored? <laughs> you know, I know you've got time. <laughs> But I did read a piece in the Paris Review that Roxane Gay wrote about Audre Lorde's life and the um, significance of of her like contributions to uh, just all sorts of things between like poetry and social justice and what it means. Uh, in the context of being a, a black queer woman. So that was a cool, interesting read. And I just want to shout it out in case that sounds interesting to anyone else that's online and, you know, like learning more about uh, queer icons from other queer icons. Why not? That's the gayest thing I did. I love that. That's a perfect person to write that specific profile. Yeah. You could have stopped at Paris Review and been like, oh, yes, gayest thing. Like, <laughs> Yes, you intellectual lesbian. Right. <laughs> and I was wearing my velvet blazer while reading that. That but... is perfect. All right. I think now we should get into our talk about shame. You know, we're just going from 
uh, all over the place with, with emotions this week and just a real want Yeah, but you know, we, I think we make this conversation about uh, shame fun. So today we are diking out with actor and comedy writer Lisa Haas. She can be seen in Wild Nights with Emily by Madeline Olnick. You remember her, right? It's now streaming on Hulu. If you haven't seen it, please. It's such a fun film. I love it. Uh, also was in Codependent Lesbian Space Alien Seeks Same on Amazon Prime, uh, another must watch. And The Foxy Merkins, these titles killing me, uh, which Lisa also co-wrote. And that is streaming just about everywhere. Lisa was also recently in season three, episode one and two of HBO Max's Search Party. What a cool thing. She were, she, she books. books. Let's get into it. Lisa, thank you so much for for being on the podcast today. Uh, Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you got into acting? uh, Sure. You know, I'm from Denver, Colorado. And I got into acting. Like when I when I went to college, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted my major to be. And then I ended up doing uh, majoring in theater, actually uh, studying like dr- dramaturgy and directing, actually. But when you do that, you still have to take a lot of acting classes. So I had mm-hmm. to take like a buttload of acting classes in school, and then I went, and then I went to graduate school also to study drama and uh, playwriting and stuff like that. Again, having to t- had to take you know, a ton of acting classes. So that's sort of how I got in acting. And then when I moved to New York City, I wanted to, I, you know, I wanted to meet other lesbian theater artists. And like the first place I went, I went to the Wow Cafe and I volunteered there. And like, that was a great place to, to meet a lot of lesbian theater artists. And then I, and I ran lights there and did other volunteer stuff. And then you know, people like somebody would drop out of somebody's play and they would say like, oh, could you jump in? I'm like, sure, sure, I can jump in, you know, and that's how I started, I guess, maybe doing acting stuff here in New York City. You know, somebody else couldn't show up for rehearsal, but guess who was there? Me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's, uh, That's a good move, too, to have when you have a crush on somebody who's taken you just wait in the wings until, <laughs> right, right, until right. one day their girlfriend doesn't show up and you're like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm just here. <laughs> <laughs> Am I remembering this correctly that Wild Nights with Emily started out as a play that Madeline did at, was it at Wow Cafe that she was working that out? Yeah, yeah. it sure was. I think she maybe had some other previous productions prior to the one at the Wow Cafe, but I was in the one at the Wow Cafe and um, and it ran for three weeks. And so, and as you saw the movie, there's a ton of characters in it. But in the play, there's like a handful of actors who have to play all of the characters. So I played a bunch of different characters. But luckily, I aged into the role of the maid. <laughs> nice. How, <laughs> how, how, how lucky for me. How lucky for me. I love that. How have things been for you during the pandemic? Have you stayed in New York the whole time? I have stayed in New York the whole time. And I feel like I've just been slapped and my head is still spinning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like right now, my head is still spinning. I teach part-time at Borough of Manhattan Community College. And so March 15th, suddenly everybody had suddenly everybody had to teach their courses online. So that was hard. It, and it happened. You know, it was I think people for the most part successfully did it. So that was kind of like crazy um, and scary. Yeah. 
And, you know, and Black Lives Matter is happening, which I'm a, I'm a Black Lives Matter supporter. And, and then also at the same time that all of this is happening, my mom was very sick in Colorado and my sister lives there. But so my, my partner and I just spent, and it happened like during the pandemic and everything we've just spent since, you know, March doing a lot of administrative stuff for my mom and making phone calls for her and stuff like that, you know, but so it's just like, it was just like, boom, 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 boom. And then we're going to knock you down and then kick you again and again. That's sort of how the pandemic has been for me. Yeah. I think we can all relate to to that. Uh, When it rains, it pours. Um, So much. So my therapist uh, just made me go to (laughs) twice a week. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, she's like, uh, there's too much going on. I think you need this double the amount. So that's where I'm at in the pandemic right now. Twice a week therapy. <laughs> that's fantastic. I mean, I go to therapy too. I mean, fantastic. Right, fantastic. right. It's a very uh, New York thing to do. Right, right, right. And very, um, and in other, before I moved to New York City, like people didn't talk about going to therapy, you know. And then I moved here and everybody's like, my therapist. right. My therapist, oh. you know, and I was like, it was such a yeah. different culture. Want to go see a Woody Allen movie where there's a therapist? <laughs> like, there's just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like when when there are uh, natural disasters going on, like there's like the fires on the West Coast, or there's hurricanes on the Panhandle, and everyone's like giving money um, to help these areas of the country. I think when those things aren't going on, they should give money to New York for therapy. Like that, that's our natural disaster is that we're just surrounded by so much stress all the time. Right, right. So true. uh, That's and also you said the pandemic. Like I almost forgot for two seconds the entire West Coast is burning. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and the hurricanes too. Like oh my gosh, kick, 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 stomp, stomp, stomp. Right. So speaking of delightful topics, we're here to talk about shame. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh yeah, one of my favorite one of my favorite topics. Yeah. Follows follows me around like a cloud. Me too. (laughs) I mean, so much has changed in life. Like, I I grew up in the closet, like, I in, in Colorado, right? And I, I didn't know there was a, a gay and lesbian center. And you knew I was gay, but I heard horror stories about gay people. And, and it was just, like, one layer of shameful things after another. And, and, then, and then I moved to New York City, and, like, everybody's out. I mean, of course, not everybody's out. But certainly there are a lot of people out and it's a whole a completely different culture and now like you know i went from a family that they i mean they didn't even say the word homosexual they would say people who were that way mm. yeah that's what they, like they wouldn't even say that word to now my mom loves my girlfriend and right do you know she's all she do you know what I mean? it's the best thing since sliced bread i was thinking about this topic and thinking about shame and the sources of it and and then how different sources of it feed into each other. So a lot of it, I think, starts with like religion and society and, and culture. And then that informs media depictions. And then that goes back and reinforces what society thinks. And then that trickles down to like your family, your friends, your your peers um and when thinking about it because you you had brought up some movies you've been watching recently and how they frame lesbians as being like these perverts or like they're um they're 
devious and they're gonna they're coming to get you and you can't they can't be trusted those just tricky tricky dykes and and then those are the representations that we grow up with and it made me think about um like the documentary um disclosure on netflix for trans people i'd never really like fully thought about it in terms of lesbians and how how that affected me and my perception of what it meant to be queer growing up. Right, right, right. I'm, I'm working on a writing project with another friend, but and we were trying to get together like the, the top 10 or the top five most perverted, amoral lesbian films of all time, where if you watch the movie, you feel so dirty about being a lesbian. Like you feel so Love it's it. like crushing. Yeah, no, right. And because it, because now it's slightly it's slightly comical. But uh, like, had you seen these movies like twenty years ago, and some of them are are that old, you'd be devastated. But now, do you know? Like, I think it's like I can, you know, perhaps others can't. But like, I can look at those movies and laugh and laugh at how like like oh my god, they're putting these women in the light of being such insidious perverts like you would not believe and if you believe it for one second you'd put a bag over your head and like never go outside again you know if you were also a lesbian right yeah and then uh what one of them that you mentioned was notes on a scandal which i forgot about (laughs) right 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 i mean i that's I probably out of all of the out of all of the movies that I'm thinking about, that's probably my most favorite one. And I mean, maybe for listeners, a, a, a short recap: it, yes, Notes please. on a Scandal stars Kate Kate Blanchett and Judy Dench. The story is about this spinster woman who's a teacher at a school who's clearly a lesbian. Do you know? And she and a new teacher, a new young quote-unquote beautiful teacher comes to start teaching there and she's so the spinster I'll just say Judy Dench you know like falls in love with Kate Blanchett I mean who among us right (laughs) (laughs) Right. if you were an old spinster and and Kate Blanchett walked into your life who who wouldn't try to manipulate her and blackmail her and all sorts of things Uh, oh absolutely absolutely yeah and, and she proceeds to do so right she proceeds to like find ways to get into her life yeah um and and wanting her ultimately to be her companion yeah um uh, and and then that that doesn't work out because she found out she was having an affair with a, a male student so then she wants to then she's mad like like judy's mad because kate doesn't want her you know kate sort of rejects her and so then judy just like turns the screws you know to try to get kate you know in as much trouble as possible it's just like nothing is better than like a lesbian predator who will clearly die alone, <laughs> right? That, and I, I and I mean that in a humorous way. But like, but like, like that. By the end of the movie, you're like, she's a <laughs> lesbian predator. She will clearly die alone. And because, like, the last scene of the movie, you see her notice a you know a woman like thirty years younger than her in the park right on a bench and she just kind of goes over there and sits down and like strikes up a conversation that's like at the end of the movie and you know like that's her next because she's a a serial predator serial predator yeah apparently it's revealed in the movie that one of her girlfriends or 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 not probably not even a girlfriend probably a woman she was stalking took out a restraining order on her it's like that character is the person parents don't 
want their daughters to encounter because she would just like draw you into her web of perversion. Right. <laughs> right. And, and at the same time, it's like that character in the movie, like Judy Dench, she's not really allowed to be, as far as I remember, um, like not be sexual. So it's almost like it's not like she's like visibly horny for Kate Blanchett. It's like there there's so much shame too in in that part. It's like, well, we can't have her so many times we've seen queer characters, especially ones who are more like these predatory lesbians, um, they're not allowed to be sexual too. And then if they are, then they're also serial killers like in um high tension. Like, in that right. one, she wanted to be with her friend and couldn't, so she, like, murders the entire family and, like, masturbates <laughs> right. about it. I don't know. It's <laughs> these narratives we grow up with. I haven't seen either of these, and I have a lot of shame because of that. <laughs> and are, are you feeling the shame from all the dirty things that happen in these movies? <laughs> I mean, well, so uh, Judy Dench, like you were saying, she's not allowed. She's not allowed. We don't see her being sexual. I would love to see a sexual Judy Dench, please. Well, she, you know, is there is a scene where she's in a bathtub, kind of like going over. You hear like the voiceover of her going over her diary in her mind. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And she mentions something. You know, if you, you set up your whole day to bump into somebody at the laundrette, do you know, just so you can get a sting in your groin. You know, I think that's like <laughs> as sexual as it gets. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but um, but not that much. But she, <laughs> but she, but she also so she lives in a boarding house, and at one point. In the movie, like her neighbors in the boarding house, are they're nice to her. They're they're fr- they know she they can tell that she you know probably has a lady friend you know. And at one point, one of the guys invites her, I think for a holiday dinner. He comes down, hey, we'd love to have you over for you know this dinner, and please bring your friend your friend, right? And so she because then they don't know they don't know who her current friend is now, but they know she had a friend right right and so she, and and Judy Dance sits sits there completely stoned faced like she doesn't have a friend <laughs> right so, she, so not only is she not sexual she doesn't even like let on to people who are just like oh you were we're welcoming you we're welcoming you in your gayness you know she's just like stone-faced right angry. like so many movies when i was thinking about it almost every movie uh has this shame aspect to it, like a disobedience, Carol, Tell It to the Bees, Desert Hearts, every movie I could think of. And it's like, is it because that people only find like these like lesbian storylines alluring if there is shame to it? Like, does that make it more like explicit if it's if we keep reinforcing this idea of like, this is bad, this is not normal uh, this shouldn't be happening, but it is, you know? Exactly. Yeah, well, right. And, like, the, the sex is so forbidden. Right. Yet everybody's so turned on. They're about to have this forbidden sex at any at any moment. I mean, I don't know if this is, like, a good comparison to make, but if you think of, like, other taboo relationships years ago, interracial relationships were very uh, taboo, and then... 
hopefully most of us have moved past that, right? But you don't have that same like current fixation on it anyway. You know, like right, right now you don't really see a lot of movies that are like, oh, let's focus on this like forbidden love between people of, <laughs> of two races where like with lesbians, like that's still the the go-to like right you know right. Let, I, let's make sure we set it at a time where this is shameful and forbidden and and a problem and i mean i mean almost it, like in you know auto straddle always lists the top 100 or the top 200 uh, les- best lesbian movies of all time and almost and almost and i haven't seen all of them of course but like also the only almost, 200 i was gonna movies. say are there even <laughs> 200 yeah there's there's 200 and i'm sure there's probably more but right out of all of those movies i think the majority of them somebody's looking over their shoulder to make sure nobody saw what they did do you know what i mean like it's like somebody's on the down low about something so and i know there's movies where that's not even a part of it right everybody's out and it's just but but most of those movies you know people are like they're you know they're some but somebody's on the down low and doesn't want to get caught because caught because if they do then there's you know these you know, whatever the consequences are that are horrible. Right. When you said taboo relationships, there's um, there's another movie called Sister My Sister, which... I haven't based, seen that. Ba- Me neither. Based on... Um, yep, starring um, Jolie Richards and Jodie May. And, and this movie was made, like, I think 20 or so years ago. And it's based on a play... Um, by a playwright, Wendy Kesselman. But here's here's the thing. It takes place in the 1800s. And it's also based on a true story. And the story is these two women who are sisters are maids for a wealthy woman and her daughter. And, and like they get paid hardly anything, but they yet they have to do everything and keep this household together. But one of them gets there first and arranges to have her sister join her so that they can, you know, be together and help each other out because they had been living in an orphanage when they were kids and they'd been very close. And But anyway, but here's, here's the taboo part. They're sisters, right? And they have to sleep in the same single, like, twin bed, right? They don't even get their own bed. And there's, like, you know, endless things of stuff happening in the house. And then the, there's the, all this sexual tension between the sisters. And then the sisters start begin to have a sexual relationship. Yeah. And then, right, right, how dirty do you feel now? That's like they have, like, this, wow. this relationship. And, uh, and then uh, by the end of the movie. This total spoiler alert. By the end of the movie, they've gotten in such a contentious relationship with the woman they work for, kind of over just accidentally burning some clothes with the iron by accident. Anyway, it comes to blows, and the two sisters, who are the maids, kill them with their bare hands. (laughs) That's where I thought you were going with this. Like, yeah, really, like they rip their (laughs) eyeballs out the whole... The whole shebang. And then they, you know, are on trial. And I believe one of them goes to prison. Maybe. I don't in, in real And it happens in the movie and in real life. They, these women uh, are, are put on trial. And I think one of them was released and the other one was in prison for the rest of her life. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. so are you. Uh, wow. That makes me want to get out a glass of wine, a couple <laughs> glasses of wine, light a candle, you know, wait for my girlfriend to come home. It's like. But I'm astounded. So, so the way I saw, so I'm working on something, a writing project around these movies. But I'm astounded at how, like, dirty, like there's so many, uh, perverted, amoral, uh, 
that's that's the uh, thing that's being broadcast. Right. You know, the unsaid thing being broadcast from these movies. And it's just like so crazy. It's never been, in my opinion, immoral or perverted or whatnot. And like nowadays, you know, I, I think I'm sure some people do think it's perverted anymore. But nowadays, for for the most part... You know, nobody thinks having a girlfriend, have two women together is this thing that by comparison of the movie, like, who believes those movies are are based in reality? And they are. And But here's the point. The, here's the point about these movies. Monster. That's, that's what people used to think. Yeah. And maybe still do. Used to think what lesbians were. I mean, those movies are just like kind of a museum testament of what people really thought was going on between lesbians like for real um so it's kind of kind of shocking yeah and that's why it's hard when you're if you're not growing up right now like for the people growing up right now they're having a lot more uh diversity in the representation queer representation that they have and they can find it in many more places but pre-internet and pre like streaming the images of of lesbians that we were given were ones that were very hard to relate to because they were, they were like villains, uh, perverts, uh, not to say there's anything wrong with being a pervert, but, uh, <laughs> there's, they, uh, yeah, they're incestuous, they're murderers. And, um, you look at that and you're like, well, I guess that's not really me. So I guess I'm not gay. I guess I'll just keep pretending to have crushes on these boys. And, thinking about shame too like as women specifically there's already so much that we're conditioned to feel shame about uh starting with like our periods and Mm -hmm. then we're shamed for having any type of sexual desire you know we're called uh sluts and whores we're shamed for uh for ambition and then on top of it, it's like, but then, but then women shame each other around being, or the possibility of being gay. Like when I was trying to think of where the shame for me came from, even though I was raised Catholic, I didn't really feel shame as much from religion. Cause I didn't, I wasn't as close to my, my faith, but I was really close to my friends. And when the ultimate insult that they hurl at you is, you're a lesbian or you're going to be a lesbian, <laughs> then you're like, no, <laughs> you know, I, I hear you. I also grew up Catholic and, you know, we didn't, you know, I don't so much feel the shame from the Catholic church because right, I didn't go to church that much. But yeah, I remember being in sixth grade and these boys were being mean to each other. And I heard one boy call another boy a fag. And I was just like, my heart froze. I was just like, Oh my god. Like I knew that 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 meant something like almost and I was just like, "Oh my god. That's what I am." I, I like I I need to turn myself invisible right now or I'll be the target of something like that. Yeah. Melody, you're being quiet. I'm so shameless. <laughs> I'm like, I, well, maybe it's because I wasn't raised with religion too and I grew up in a really <laughs> liberal area. I just like am I could use some shame. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
<laughs> Melody, where where did you where did you grow up? Or I grew up in um, West Hartford, Connecticut. Super uh-huh. liberal utopia. Um, yeah, my parents completely rejected religion because it's what drove them to leave um, Iran. As it became, you know, religion became law. Um, so I was like really raised to just not conform to a lot of these ideas. And my parents were luckily really um, open about me coming out and everything. Maybe it was more extended family. I felt shame around and still do a little bit, but I'm really, this is me silent. I'm silent. I'm trying to think of (laughs) examples of shame. Like I really think I'm, I really am too shameless sometimes. Um, And that comes out in stories shared on this podcast. um, (laughs) So Lisa, our goal is to make Melody feel shame uh, about her queerness by the end of this conversation. I, I mean, though, seriously, Melody, when, when you first were realizing that you were queer, was there any feeling of, of shame or like, oh, no, I, I don't want to be a dyke? Like, yeah, of course, I had um, shame um, in just recognizing there's something different about me and wanting to be like my friends. Um, I think I had a lot of shame, maybe f- not toward with the gayness, though. It was a really like my um, Persianness or just like being bullied for being like brown or hairy. Like I was really consumed with that shame. I used to lie about, I was like, oh no, I'm Italian. I'm Greek. I'm like, I'm whatever you want, especially after September 11th. So I think I was so consumed with that shame that I didn't even get to focus on my gay shame until, um, and that's why I was so stunted. It took me forever to come out and really have these conversations with myself and other people. Because I was really just (laughs) a long list of things, I guess, to be ashamed of, too. Like, I had a weight issue. I was like, uh, there's a lot. (laughs) Um, Yeah, shame about our bodies is a whole other... (laughs) A lot of body shame and (laughs) subsequent body dysmorphia that really dominates my shame game. And also, (laughs) did you know there's literally a gay shame parade no, I just typed into Google this morning. I knew we were talking about shame and I typed in gay shame. And apparently that was a counter protest to within the from the queer community um, as like a radical kind of protest or alternative to gay pride because pride became like so commercialized and corporate. Um, but I'd never heard of it. But there is a literal gay shame movement. <laughs> I was wondering if you guys had ever heard of. No. no. Oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up yeah. after this. Oh my god, I had no idea. Yeah, it started in '98 apparently, and I think the first one was in Brooklyn. <laughs> it's like you know, we could use some shame here. You can shop from anywhere, doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. 
or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Yeah, I mean, when you think of things that your peers, because I, I think that's where like most of the hurt comes from, I guess like family and friends, but you're afraid that people are going to judge you in a negative way. And there are the things like feeling shame about my period while I'm with, you know, my friends who were assigned female at birth and they're all getting their periods too. So we're not shaming each other really about that, even though I would call my sister a PMS bitch all the time. Uh, <laughs> that's my go-to insult. Uh, and then she would call me a lesbian back as a, <laughs> as a retort. So. <laughs> you know, and then we knew that it wasn't right to say things to each other about our bodies or what we looked like or our backgrounds. Like we weren't shaming each other for that. But for some reason, if you dare do anything that could be slightly construed as being somewhat gay, then, and, and like people wouldn't even call that to me necessarily. Like I had one friend who made a comment because I hadn't made out with a boy yet, uh, <laughs> that I was like automatically going to be like a de facto dyke. But, uh, other friends in my group would do or say things that were kind of gay, like complimenting women's breasts or something like that. And then it'd be like, all right, lesbian, you know? And then I would watch that. And so I would like, you know, not even realizing that I was gay, but just make really, really sure that I never did anything that could possibly get people to catch on to <laughs> the fact that I might be different. Yeah. You know? I actually probably had more shame that I hadn't. I was really like sexually stunted. <laughs> um, so I probably had more shame that I wasn't hooking up with boys yet. But really, I was just like repressing a lot and didn't 
want to be touched by anyone while I was figuring out my sexuality, but like just kind of focused all that shame into that being the problem that I was just like not kissing boys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's real too. Yeah. I didn't want to date boys in high school, but I mean, I went to the prom once and maybe, maybe twice, but, um, and it was just awful. Like after this one prom date, the guy who was, you know, and these were actually really nice guys. And this is kind of also what's kind of really horrible about, right. That, when people are in the closet, like these guys were nice. They didn't, they could have dated a woman. You know, they could have taken some gal to the prom who wanted to make out with them. Right. Do you know? Uh, and I, cer- I certainly didn't. And this one guy wanted, you know, wanted to make out with me. And I was just like, this is so gross. I wouldn't open my mouth. And he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, nothing. <laughs> and, and, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't say like, well, you know what? I'm a lesbian. And, you know, like, let's say hey, maybe I can help you find somebody to go on a date with. So it's been really awful, you know, awful until, really it's been pr- pretty awful actually till I moved to New York City because uh, I grew up, I didn't know any other lesbians. Uh, I, I, and I know that I, statistically there had to be in high school other women who were lesbians. I just, I didn't know them. Yeah. Uh, and I just, oh yeah, I just really, for years and years and years kind of grew up gay in a vacuum. How old were you when you realized you were gay and what, and what did that for you if you were in, in such a vacuum? was realizing I was gay like kind of in fifth grade and I like I knew that I was different and I would hear my parents often talk about the people who were that way and yeah. like you know stay away from them and and I and I got the message that those people were awful and perverted and and t- you know just bad people who would do bad things to you um and they and that in fact those people could turn you that way you know and I kind of thought like well I'm already that way do you know what I mean like how can they and and that I'm not a bad person like I I'm not gonna do anything horrible you know like I'm not gonna snatch children and turn them that way you know like that was also the implication is that they got their claws into people who were younger so they could groom them to be that way and 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 so I I knew I wasn't good you know I, I knew I wasn't going to do that and that wasn't really in but so so then when I was in sixth grade I think I think it was when that kid called the one kid called the other kid a fag when I went home like we had a world book encyclopedia and I don't know how I knew how I knew how to look up the word homosexual but we I went home I grabbed the world book encyclopedia with the letter h on it I you know, was <laughs> sharing through it to get to the part where it says homosexual you know and I and I was very careful not to break the spine of the book because I wouldn't want anyone to know that <laughs> open that right page to that been, page. <laughs> yes yeah and so I very like I barely opened the book and I read what it, you know, just the first couple paragraphs and I was devastated. I was just like, I cl- I was like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I was just like, so I put the book, you know, back on the shelf and it's just like, I didn't even know. I don't even know what I was thinking. I, I think I was just in complete and total distress. And I knew like who could, I couldn't tell my parents. I, and well, I know I, I, I sort of knew like I couldn't tell anybody. And then I thought, you know, as I got older, I was just like, come on, there's there's got to be people who are like me who are. If it's in the encyclopedia, evil. there's got to be more. <laughs> right, right, right. And like, how can how can everybody be evil and awful and terrible and stuff like that and so so you know really wanting to meet uh, other people like perhaps my age or really you know what any age mm-hmm. I was I could have gone for any age you know to meet uh, other lesbians you know I didn't even know that many gay men I did know some gay men but 
really, I didn't know any lesbians. When I was in college, there was this, there was a gal who I seemed like she was a lesbian. And she worked at the commissary. And so I would go there all the time and kind of hang out a little bit and, like, buy some M&Ms, you know, and, and just and try to, like, make it take a long time, like, buying these M&Ms and then kind of chitty-chatting a little um, with her. And, like, like, I never could have a friendship with her. And I just thought she was gay, right? So I was just like, whatever. And so, like, I would go when I'd have to write papers or whatever, I would go to the Denver Public Library. And I would, you know, go to like the card catalog, right? There used to, when there used to be card catalogs, you know, and I like go up to the H box, you know, and just like feeling like there was a spotlight on me and just like sweating bullets. Like I can't and let anybody know I'm looking in the H's, you know? So I would just try to pretend like I was looking in the N's, but I wasn't look. I was looking in the H's, you know, I'd go like homosexual, right? Um, and her homosexuality and like I'd find, you know, the Dewey Decimal number of where those books were. And I uh, so I'd go to that part of the library and like all of the books about homosexuality maybe took up a half of one shelf. And I mean, I'm talking about like maybe two feet of shelfage wide, two feet of shelfage wide. Is that like at this huge library? And those were the only books about homosexuality. And I remember, and so I would, you know, really piecemeal it out. Like one time I'd go and try to look at just one of the books. And then the next time I went back to the library, I'd try for another one. But one time I was like, I was, I was there. I was going to that, that spot to look at the next book. And I turned the corner right, right in front of those books. And guess who was there? That girl from the commissary. Yes. And she and she she wasn't she was looking at the, those books and I was just like I was like, oh hi. And she was like, hi. And then we both like boom, you know, like just went opposite ways, you know. But I was and I was just like, I was like, oh, I'm so fucking embarrassed, I fucking got caught, and I fucking knew she was a lesbian. You know, and, and then and that's like and then I was just sort of like, why won't she talk to me? You know, I not not that I didn't necessarily want to date her, but I was like, I could never get her to talk to me at the commissary. And then I was like, now here you are, you know, in the the H's of the Dewey Decimal System, looking at that, and like, why won't you talk to me? How many M and M's do I have to buy? You know, like, and but so, and then there was like, so, and then I couldn't find anything about lesbians. Right, the books were about male gay male things they were you know they were sort of like just academic books and psychology books and right but there there was only one book that had like one thing about a lesbian in it and and it was um a a, a recounting of a, a true story i think a woman a woman who was a nun and so she was talking about how she you know realized she was a lesbian right so when she was a, a young nun right she was a young nun she was at the convent and she fell down a flight of stairs and hit her head, right? And so she had a bruise on her head. And so, um, so you know, she was taken to her room and put to bed. And, and one of the older nuns who was kind of looking after her, you know, came in to check her and just, you know, and gave her a kiss on her forehead, right? And and the woman who got the kiss on the forehead, was she was like, that's how she knew she was a lesbian, that's as hot as it gets. I love it. I was just... <laughs> a, a kiss on the bump on your head. Like, I mean, like, to me, that was like the most pornographic thing I could possibly find, you know? Yeah. And it, it was so both, both disappointing and titillating, you know? Right. <laughs> At the same time. Man, that was just 
that whole story was giving me flashbacks to being in Barnes and Noble and pretending to browse the section right next to the gay and lesbian yes, section. Me too. And just like being very just like on edge the entire time, like listening for other people and waiting for the moment when I could like maybe take a book, hide it behind another book and see like, are there <laughs> images? I don't know what I'm looking for here, but I just need to know that like I need more more information on this. And one of the things for me when I was figuring it all out was when the internet was, you know, becoming popular, <laughs> aging myself here. And I was never much of like a, a masturbator as a teenager or any of that. I don't know if it was the Catholicism or, or what, but I didn't do that. But I would look up um, porn because that was the only place to see two women together. And it, so it would be like this validation of like looking up lesbian porn just to see two women together and being like, okay, this is like a thing. But then also, then again, seeing that representation being like, but that's not me. And that doesn't feel true. Like something is off about this. Well, yes, it's that they weren't really gay. Like whoever <laughs> in these, these images. But still, I was just like, obsessed with finding pictures uh, like lesbian porn pictures because those were like the only like overtly lesbian image so I had then this whole other layer of shame on top of that that now I'm looking at porn all the time or like whenever I can get alone on the family computer and then spend like an hour making sure I delete like every single trace of me being on that computer <laughs> right 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 Melody have you hidden books under other books? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, like, you nerds buying your M&Ms and hiding Stop in the library. It. You know I've talked about this at length on the podcast that I was raised yes. in the public library because my immigrant parents would work and did not trust or probably couldn't even afford babysitters at the time. Um, so I would... <laughs> Look up books via the Dewey Decimal System. But then I would take everything to the Wicca section. There was like a mezzanine <laughs> area to our public library where I would take my homosexuality books. I'd um, put the spine facing me and like, all you know, the pages out um, just like stacked. But it was like a variety. <laughs> it was like interesting covers to romance novels with like a woman's cleavage spilling out of a bodice even if a fabio looking man is holding her like it was books on <laughs> um just very clinical homosexuality and then i would take it all to the furthermost like corner corner of the mezzanine which was the occult section of the library so it made it even more gay in my opinion in hindsight that i was in the witch section <laughs> of the library <laughs> reading my like <laughs> clinical homosexuality books <laughs> um these kids don't know how good they have it um, <laughs> and then with the porn on the internet i can't tell i do have shame but i don't know if it's because of the content i was seeking out or just because like the specific type of porn I was looking for women or if it's just it was porn and I was, you know, your condition to have shame, like inherent sure. shame for that. So dirty. Yeah. I love hearing your stories about hiding the titles on the spine. Yeah. The, find, <laughs> finding the furthest corner and like disguising them. I, right. I did all that. Right. Disguising them with other books. And now you kids you know have Kindles. I, mean? I know. Nobody ever has to know what you're reading. <laughs> <laughs> they do this all from their bed. Uh, yeah. I guess I yeah. did have shame. 
<laughs> yes. repressed shame that's starting to come up. I also good, confuse good. shame and guilt a lot of the time. Um, and I always need to remember the distinction. Um, so I always feel like I prioritize in my mind when I think of sh- I'm really thinking of guilt. Like I just have a guilty conscience. Um, so I feel like guilt is what, what they say, like you made a mistake and shame is, I am a mistake. Yeah, exactly. So I exactly. probably have a lot of misplaced sh- actual shame that I like just see as like a lot of guilt, I think. Yeah, that's a great point. I think the two can definitely be be confused. It's hard to think like whether how much actual shame that I felt for being gay because once I like realized that that was what it was, I was like so happy to have figured out this riddle that had been like perplexing me my whole <laughs> youth and then I'm like, "Oh, great." Now I'm normal like everybody else. I'm like different, but I'm normal because like now I understand like what it means to like have a crush and have a sex drive, you know, because I never wanted to sleep with men. So right. uh, and, and that made me feel a lot more normal. So but then I re- also remember like finding my journal of when I was realizing I was gay and the first sentence was like. I think something's wrong with me. So obviously then I did feel that there was like some shameful element to it. And it's hard to know the factors like just all these memories of like moments where, yeah, the, the shame of seeing how people re react to stuff. And then, and I think some of that comes from movies too, though. I think it all starts with like the limited exposure of movies and television, but also in real life, because you think of, uh, Billy Jean King and Ellen DeGeneres and what happened when they came out and it was like boo bad lose sponsors lose your job lose money <laughs> and mm-hmm. then it's like oh man this is really a terrible thing to be <laughs> right 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 yeah and thank god they came out right <laughs> right because they helped turn a corner for everybody else yeah you know yeah. and you know they ended up fine but at the time I, I can't imagine what it was like for Billy Jean King especially to to go through all of that and being outed uh, against her will and yeah i think yeah we're just perpetuating a lot of shame in our lesbian media because we can't seem to have anything really of substance that takes place now like our, our epic lesbian films are all either steeped in like religious communities or like historical fiction where everything's just extra taboo until we get more I think modern stories in our lesbian media that's what I like though about portrait of a lady on fire though is that that's a one movie that's you know it's set at a time where it should be like no no this is bad but that's never a factor in the movie yeah like the painter could have easily been a man and it would still have been um, like this romantic love story happening. I definitely wouldn't be as into it, but it still, <laughs> it would have like held up. It wasn't the fact that they were two women that ever seemed to be the problem. It was just that she was promised to to marry somebody else and that they knew that they probably wouldn't be d- together. And yeah. um, And that's a testament to queer women 
writing and directing. <laughs> I yes. Think too. And acting. And, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the older I get, the more I'm also okay with being like an old uh, Judy Dench pervert one day. <laughs> like, uh. at, at first I'm like, no, that's not me. And now I'm getting older. I'm like, hey, you know, one day, you never know. Like, if I become widowed or something, I could become a... a <laughs> serial predator old old lesbian just going after young Kate Blanchett types in academic settings that sounds like it sounds very chic and I'm into it yeah. a very fun chapter yeah <laughs> of your life I think goodness there's like all these other movies and like Portrait of a Lady and stuff because then it made me think like another one of those shameful movies I'm I've been watching was like right the killing of sister George again based on playing a play written by a man, a movie, a movie, the movie written and directed by men, you know. But you can see, like, you can see it on YouTube, like a bootleg version of it. And you can see in, like, the trailer of it's on YouTube. But there's this this kind of climactic sex scene that happens. And it's where um, one woman's pretending like she's asleep. And the other woman, who's older, right, is kind of, it comes into the room. And then slowly starts massaging one breast with one hand. <laughs> and so and this goes on, goes on and on and on and on. And like, and you're like, is this, are, what, what is, what are, what is, what is, who's trying to say what about this? Do you know what I mean? Is this like, is just, is it just doing this because this is just something deviant or, or, or like, do, is this something that turns lesbians? Does somebody think this turns lesbians on? Does somebody think, you know, like that scene, it's like it blows my, it makes my skin, first of all, it makes my skin crawl, you know, right. but but it's it's just like it's so, so weird. And who thinks that really happens? You know, if you were to ask the filmmakers, did you think that? Do you think that really happens? That, you know, they might say no, but I doubt it. I doubt it. They might, they might like in their mind, maybe that's what they think should happen or is happening. Yeah. That's how Desert Hearts felt to me when the scene in the, in the hotel room, when she's like, leave, get out of here. I don't want to see you. And then she just gets naked on her bed and is like, mm-mm. We're going to fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what? She just told you to go. <laughs> like... This, <laughs> like, no, I don't think any of us fantasize about that. Like, oh, there's this person who makes me uncomfortable and they keep coming around and then they're going to show up unwanted. I'm going to tell them to leave and then they're going to get naked and then I'll <laughs> just give up. <laughs> what a fantasy. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm surprised like that, like in terms of evolution, like that queer people like literally haven't developed eyes in the back of their head <laughs> do, do you know what I mean from the from the from the having to watch you know watch your back and stuff like that like it's just it's kind of shocking evolutionary wise that 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 there aren't like little little eyeballs right. in the back of people's heads right you know that have, because people have been like what you know looking over their shoulder for so many centuries really I'm sure at the same time though I also remember just enjoying that part of it too. At least once I started seeing women, like there is like a sexy factor to being secretive and to, you know, when I was like working in a movie theater as a teenager and dating somebody else who worked there secretly. And it was like, 
you know, where can we hide around a corner or whatever to like steal a kiss or and all that it was like thrilling and exciting. And I have to assume more exciting than whatever the Hets were doing. I was just like, OK, OK, this is bullshit. I was like, OK. And I figured out that there were personal ads. And I was maybe about 18 years or 17 or 18. And uh, and I figured out, OK, I can get a P.O. box. Right. So personal ads where people literally right. wrote each other. A, you saw the ad in the newspaper. Then you wrote them a letter. Then they wrote you back. And everybody had a P.O. box. So it could be anonymous. Right. And so so I did. I got a P.O. box. I, I wrote a letter. I got a letter back. Right. And so then this woman woman put her phone number in the letter. Give me a call, you know, sometime. And so. I snuck down to my parents' basement, right, and, like, uh, on the landline, right, and, like, I called this woman, and and uh, and so as it turns out, I'm 17 years old, and she's 35, you know, and she, <laughs> I, was, she was, I was like, hey, where do you live? And she's like, oh, I have an apartment. I have an apartment that I live in. I think she was a, a like, nurse. Cool. That's so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. And then, and then she said to me, and where do you live? And I was like, at my parents' house. <laughs> You know, I was so embarrassed. I was just like, I felt like such an asshole, you know. And then, and she, then she real, and she was like, "How old are you?" <laughs> you know. And then so I, t- and then she said, and then I, and think, and then she was like, "Hey, you know what? You know, she, she was trying to like give me a hand. She's like, "Hey, why? You know what you should do? I, I really recommend that that you go to the the gay and lesbian center." And I was like, "What gay and lesbian center?" <laughs> and, and she was like, uh, well, um, it's downtown. And she kind of described it a little. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, that one. Right. I had no idea. Right. I had no idea. So then I, I the minute I hung up the phone with, like, I knew I would never talk to this person again. So I hung up. I was like, nice talking to you. And then I hung up the phone. Like, I ran upstairs to find the phone book. And I was, like, tearing through the phone book to find. And there, and there it was, Gay and Lesbian Center with an address and a wow. telephone number. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to plan, uh, you know, like a sneaky trip. How am I, how am I going to, I need to go there, right. right? I need to go there. I mean, and I did, I did end up going, when I went there, it was like, it was in a house that was, that was, the entire house was devoted to being the Gay and Lesbian Center of Denver. You know, I drove into the parking lot and I parked the car as far away from the door, front door as I could. And then I, you know, and then I went in, I just thought, like, I thought I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to faint. Like, I'm not, I'm not even going to make it through the front door. And so anyway, I made it through the front door and I, and there were a couple of people kind of like at the desk area and they were like, hi. And I was like, Hi. You know, like, can we help you? And I was like, oh, I was just looking at the flyers. <laughs> and so I did. I was just like, here I for the M&Ms. The, yeah, I was just looking at, I was like, oh, I was looking at the flyers. And I was just like, I'm like, I felt like I was about to faint, right? You know, and I was just like, those are gay people right there, you know, and they think I'm gay, right? And so anyway, and I noticed there was a flyer for like a, a coming out group for women. And I like had that burn into my memory, like the date and the time. And then I, and then I eventually went back to that group. Was there anybody around your age there? I feel like if I went to a, a gay and lesbian center, like when I was 17, it would have been like me and then a lot of older people. And then I would have felt like uncomfortable and never come back again. So the people at the front desk were clearly older than me. I and mean, they were very nice. Um, and it was a couple of guys. They were clearly older. But then when I eventually, so when I said I did come back to that group, it was two years later when I when I finally yeah. like had got up the guts <laughs> right. to come back to that group, and the Sounds group actually, right. 
they did have a, a wide range age range in it. Yeah, like I think there were people the ages were like twenty. There were even some people like who who seemed to be in their sixties. And the group, you know, different people came and went, but there was a pretty broad age range. And I would say most of the people were maybe in their twenties, hmm. struggling with coming out. Yeah, and like I went. And when I started to go to these meetings and I was there, I went to three meetings and, you know, and it was, uh, uh, everybody sat in a circle and they're like, let's go around and say how our day was. And somebody would say like, well, my day was fine. And then somebody else was like, I had a really hard day at the office. And then somebody else was <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And they're like, and they're asked me how was my day. And it's like, it was okay. And so, and then nobody, and then there's this whole meeting and nobody said anything about being a lesbian. I was like, oh my God. So I went back again. And then I went back the third time and it was the whole thing. So everybody, how did your day go? And, you know, and it got to me and I was just like, you know, my my day was fine, but that's not really what I'm here to talk about. I wanted to talk <laughs> about being a lesbian. And then it, that kind of broke the ice for that particular group. I know they had lots of groups. And then everybody was like, yeah, yeah. You know, and then the, the facilitators jumped on it and they were like, yeah, let's talk about it. Is it that they felt like there was so much collective shame in the room that they... I think the facilitators were... Also, maybe therapists or social workers, and I feel like they were waiting for the group participants to bring it up themselves, as as opposed yeah. to going, "Hey, you're a lesbian. Let's talk about it." So yeah. I think that's what was going on, and that was like such a very long time ago, right? So you know, I don't even know if, like, I don't even know what coming out groups how how they work now, but that's how it's it just TikTok. Then. That's yeah, it's one <laughs> right, big TikTok, coming exactly. out group, and it's on TikTok. <laughs> Do you find that shame still kind of rears its head in in your life now? Yeah, I mean, because I it, it was just like you know from the time I can kind of remember, but probably like maybe I sort of realized I was getting six in sixth grade, but like you know a few years before that, I heard my parents talking about those people and stuff like that. So like I've had decades and decades of shame, and I and I. And like I've every like occasionally, like I had to go to this doctor's office, uh, and they were just like, you know, who's your emergency contact? And for I and this was just like maybe a couple of years ago, and I was so like it caught me so off guard. I was and I was like, uh, my roommate, <laughs> and 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 then I give it, and I had so my girlfriend, right? But I was just so like it just like at that moment, like like decades and decades of shame just came back, and I was like. Uh, my roommate. So yeah, so occasionally like that'll happen where all of a sudden I'll feel like I'm in a not safe space and it's not okay to be gay. Because I was like, I spent like dec decades in those spaces, you yeah. know. And also then the other side of the coin is, is that in New York City, I've had a lot of female roommates, you know, and sometimes they'd go with me to places and I would introduce them and I would say like, oh, this is my roommate. And then I was like so fucking embarrassed because and I was like, no, she's really <laughs> my roommate. I was just like so embarrassed. I like, and now they think I'm in the closet. I'm introducing this person as my roommate. And I'm like, but no, they're really my roommate. Yeah. <laughs> a legitimate label in New York. <laughs> yeah, right. I have similar things too with with like doctors or the past week. My wife has been um, in and out of the the hospital, and because she's uh, ESL, I just feel like I can communicate more clearly with doctors uh, about what's going on. So I've been handling mm -hmm. like a lot of the phone calls and communications with with doctors. And sometimes when I call, I'm just like, yes, my spouse is being treated there and I won't say my wife. And I don't know. I'm like, is it because of shame or is it just because I hate people being like, 
of people erasing it. You know how sometimes you'll say like, oh, it's my girlfriend or whatever. And then, I mean, I know this happened to you recently, Melody, like that they erase yeah. it and they're like, so your husband? I'm like, no, I literally said my wife. Yeah, this just <laughs> like, happens. Then. Or they'll be like, your girlfriend? I'm like, no, my wife. Like we see, this is why I say paperwork. wife and we're not even married because I just don't want any... <laughs> Confusion, confusion with the word it. girlfriend or anything. <laughs> right. A lot of people right. think we are married, I've realized in the comedy world. I say it so much. Um, but yeah, I want it yeah. known and not glossed over like my gal pal. When I was in the hospital with Cecilia during visiting hours and I kind of like scooted up onto her her bed and we were laying there watching TV together. And I guess you're not really supposed to be on the patient's beds. Um, but then I did feel like this extra shame. Whenever like the nurse walked in, I would like jump off the bed. Like I was in high school having like a parent walk in or something as if like I was doing something wrong or because like, I didn't want to make anyone uncomfortable. I think that's some of the shame I carry. Like I have the shame of like, Oh, my gayness is making people uncomfortable and I don't want to make people uncomfortable, especially in a situation where like my wife's um, health care is in their hands. I don't want them to feel com- uncomfortable about treating her. And it's so funny to me that I can feel that way sometimes because on the other hand, I'm like, this is diking out uh, this podcast that everybody can hear that there's a record of forever uh, that lives on the internet and will always be tied to my name. Dyke, dyke, dyke. <laughs> Here I am, you know, and making people uncomfortable all the time uh, with the name of this podcast. Yet in like more private situations, I can, it's very easy for me to be like, oh, oh no, did they see us kiss? I hope that didn't bother them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, my, my girlfriend, Stephanie, is shameless. She is sh- totally shameless. Right. You, and she grew up in a, a very different environment. Her family was very accepting. She, she, didn't, she didn't grow up hearing that homosexuals were bad. So she grew up in a very different environment. Yeah, I don't even know if I have, like, if I'm shameless or if I'm just not even, like, aware of how my shame manifests. Like, That's why you need to go to therapy twice a week. Yeah. <laughs> I need therapy in general, yeah. Even in therapy, I find like I I have shame and I'm not always like forthcoming with my therapist and she'll call me out on it. And she'll be like, you know, this is like a safe space. I'm like, yeah, but I want you to think poorly of me. So I'm just going to not talk about this one thing. Yeah. My last therapist was queer and I weirdly gave me shame or just like, ah, like, yeah. Is there tension right now? Like I (laughs) felt ashamed because I even like entertained the idea. I was like, I wonder if she thinks I'm cute. Like it just Uh, like I eventually I don't see her anymore because I just yeah, I would prefer a queer therapist. But I thought so I thought. Yeah. Opened up a whole new can of worms. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I could handle a queer therapist. The I'd be like judgment, judgment. (laughs) Yeah, I really felt that way. I, I mean, my current therapist, I, I don't I don't think is I don't think is gay, but, but my very first therapist, I, I did want to go to a, a lesbian therapist. And and uh, so I, w- I went through with a sliding scale fee institute. To, anyway, yeah. I got connected with this woman and, you know, and I, I, I said at my first session, you know, I was hoping that I, I, I'm looking for a lesbian therapist. And she did. She goes, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> and and she, you know and I have a CSW or what you know and so and she but she was um 
she was probably 20, maybe 20 years older than me, maybe. So, so, and she always dressed professionally. So she always wore like a, a skirt and a, uh, a jacket, like a kind of a corporate thing. And I was just like, wow, she just like every time is dressed prof <laughs> professionally. Like she just, she just doesn't let it go. She's dressed up every time. Actually, I was with that woman for, uh, that therapist for eight years and she was awesome. She was like totally awesome. Yeah, maybe I had a crush on this therapist. <laughs> she was like my age, casual, <laughs> dressed. It just felt, it felt like a date. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, as you were saying, dressed really nice. I was like, yeah, that would have been a problem for me. If I had like a therapist who was just like dressed professionally, I'd be so distracted the whole time if I knew they were gay. <laughs> That's a movie I want to see. She loves a blazer. <laughs> love a blazer. Love a collar. Uh, so I guess uh, therapy is... One possible way maybe to, to deal with and unpack shame. What, what are some other ways that you that have helped you with the shame that you may have felt or to get over some of these uh, images of like these pervy, pervy dykes? <laughs> Well, you know, then this is like a really bad example and I don't recommend it for anybody else. Shock but therapy? Like, what, no, just kidding. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, I sort of one that. reason that, <laughs> I mean, one reason, uh, one thing that helped me in terms of my family is that, is that like I, you know, when I grew up, you know, sometimes somebody would do something bad and then somebody would like, oh, but I, you did something worse. The thing that I did was, you know, not as bad as what you did. So that's okay that I did that. Like just baby bullshit stuff like that. But I, yeah. and so then when I got older, like I kind of, I found out some, um, some uh, secrets about my family that became revealed uh, that, that were pretty bad, that were pretty bad. And like that, like, cranked up my courage like you would not believe do you know what I mean I'm like and, and I remember you know saying to my mom and like are you kidding me being gay is baby shit compared to that yeah. <laughs> you, and, and that's one thing how I sort of got over my shame and, and it's like that's not a good way it's like I and, and maybe I'm uh, clearly maybe I'm clearly not over it because it's like are you kidding me you're worse than I am. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to start calling the shots here now um, kind of thing. So that's not I, uh, I don't consider that really actually a healthy attitude, but it's true. But I'm just I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's be honest here. Uh, there there are a lot of different ways. I, I definitely think that that's one of them. I know for me, it's just talking about talking about it openly and stuff like th this podcast. Like I hope that's something that this podcast does for people is that people can listen like to Melody's episode on masturbation and then maybe not feel shame uh, around around yeah. those topics and be like, oh, I'm not the only one. Because I think a lot of the a lot of shame comes in feeling like, oh, I'm alone in this. I'm a, I'm different than everybody and I'm a bad person because I'm the only one who who does this and I'm a freak and I'm bad. But then being like, oh, other people are like this and they can talk about it. So it can't be that bad. It must be yeah. okay. Their lives haven't self-destructed because of it. All right. Uh, and I felt shame almost immediately walking away from that recording when I was a guest on this <laughs> podcast, but it did erase a lot of my shame to see a lot of the comments from people yeah. saying they really related people love agreed. that episode they couldn't wait to be able to unload maybe some of that shame and be like oh it's not just me that 
like still get myself off. Cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I'm so impressed that you, I'm so impressed that you did that episode and and shared that stuff about yourself. <laughs> well, Carolyn made me. <laughs> As we did with you, we pitch topics or we open it up to the guests, and I pitched a few, and Carolyn said, "How about masturbation? <laughs> How about <laughs> Our listeners it? really?" <laughs> want someone to talk about it <laughs> yeah I barely knew Melody and thought uh, <laughs> yeah. this could be <laughs> been waiting for somebody to to snatch this up and and she was game but you could have said no and I would have respected that the one topic I did force you on was uh squirting I did force yeah, you to talk that's about a squirting. patreon only episode <laughs> yeah if you haven't joined our patreon yet people get with the program we've got a great squirting <laughs> gif that Cecilia <laughs> made for the artwork for that. Yes. Um, Lisa's like, can I leave now? You are both filming me <laughs> with so much shame. Yeah, no matter the topic, by the way, I feel shame after a lot of most of our recordings. <laughs> I feel like I overshare. So keep those comments coming and it makes me feel justified in <laughs> my, I guess, shamelessness. Yeah, I'm shameless to a point where it results in shame. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll wrap this up with what is something you do um, besides throwing your family's drama into their face uh, (laughs) that makes you feel like really good about who you are and about being queer? Like what's something you do to just kind of like express that or, or let that out? I am in queer plays. I am in queer movies. That yeah. Is, you know, and like that is like, there's something about going, I'm going to do this and, and the, the the entire world can see it. Like that, I, I think for me, sort of counteracts that. To be in the Foxy Merkins, you got to. <laughs> right, right, right. Because, you know, Planet Earth has the opportunity to, to stream it. Yeah, the opposite of shame is pride. And it's not just limited to June. And right. That's definitely something to be proud of. Definitely need more authentic lesbian stories out there. Lastly, you know, you mentioned Pride Melody. Uh, One of the things that makes me feel uh, the most pride is the the Dyke March. And Lisa, I saw you at the last real Dyke March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ran into you you and Madeline. Thank you for bringing that up. I I did feel proud on that day. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I think anyone struggling with any level of shame um, should go to the Dyke March. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That is a shame power power washer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just really gets rid of it all. Uh, Mm -hmm. And like so much so that the people, the religious people standing with their signs, like you just feel sorry for them. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. Your life is so miserable. Oh yeah, and there is and lesbian couples take shifts making out in front of them, and it's just a beautiful thing to see. (laughs) Yes, love it. Great. Well, Lisa, where can people find you and follow you on social media? Lisa Haas actor at Instagram. Um, I'm I'm on Facebook. I also I have a website. Like I love it when people pay a visit to my website, right? So it's lisa-haas.com, and there's a lot of stuff on there about comedy and stuff like that yeah guys justify that domain price she is paying yeah (laughs) the website we'll link to it in the show notes yeah 
Thank you so much for taking the time to dike out with us and to, oh, to share your shame. You guys, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for, thank you so much for asking me. And I just, I'm not going to tell my mom I did this, but I'll let, I'm, jo- I'm joking. I, uh, I'll tell her, I'll tell her. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll think about it. I'll think about it. No, thank you so much. It's a, it's a pleasure talking to you both. So, Melody, do you think we filled you with enough shameful thoughts? Are you going to be stewing in your shame for the next week or so? Or are you just shaking it off? As I said, this podcast always leaves me with some residual shame. And (laughs) it's only absolved by the feedback in our comments. So please engage on our Instagram. and um... Please validate Melody. Help our shame go away with validation. Leave us a review. (laughs) Five stars on iTunes. That's the best way. Please. How how did we forget to mention that when we talked about overcoming shame? Um, (laughs) Just have your listeners uh, boost your self-esteem. Speaking of listeners, this week's listener question comes from a 40-year-old Midwestern happily married stay-at-home parent. (laughs) That's the actual, is that the actual question? That is how they identify. Okay. Yes, that's the question. Am I a 40-year-old Midwest happily married (laughs) stay-at-home parent? I don't know. Are you Tully? Yeah. Tully is definitely not sure if all those things are true about her. (laughs) You just have to wake up. Um, Okay. This listener question is from a 40-year-old Midwestern happily married stay-at-home parent, more importantly, a patron. So you know their question got bumped to the top of the pile. And this is yet another (laughs) listener question that we did have to kind of summarize. I'm surprised it didn't appear in the New Yorker under short stories. (laughs) I mean... This was quite... (laughs) Daily shout the ride. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so we condensed it um, to uh, what originally was more Still a hefty of a paragraph. short story, fable, uh, <laughs> and a question, uh, but <laughs> the general gist. We love that, our patrons. Yes, we so much. She's been married to a man for a while and has realized that she's queer after they were together for some time. He knows and he is supportive, but because she is in a monogamous relationship, she feels like her queerness is completely erased and the world views her as straight. But this identity is important to her, of course, so she started going to therapy to talk about it, and her therapist suggested that she watch lesbian porn with her husband. She didn't like that suggestion, I think, for reasons most of us can understand. Yeah. She didn't like that suggestion. So she wants to know, is this worth telling her therapist why that's not helpful and addressing it? Or should she move on and find someone who can better understand what exactly she's going through? This one's kind of tricky because I agree. That's a not a good suggestion. Like you're, you know, struggling. That's with not how a to good like first suggestion. At least not have your identity erased. And she's like, "Why don't you watch lesbian porn with your husband?" As the, as if that's like good. And, and this listener like listed the the reasons why that does nothing to to solve the the situation. So I agree that. That would be a big red flag to me if that was my <laughs> therapist's suggestion to something like that. Honestly, we're but, talking about validity and you're like, watch lesbian porn. Watch lesbian porn with your <laughs> husband. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. 
I'll be like, great, this is what you're into? <laughs> I'm like, no. Fist bump. This is what it means to be queer? Cool. I'm Who's queer. Pride? <laughs> I think, though, in terms of like moving on to someone else, I think you're going to have a hard time, honestly, finding a therapist that will be able to help you with this. Not to sound pessimistic. Maybe I'm having a pessimistic kind of week, but uh, this this is kind of a tricky area and that I don't even know if you found a queer therapist, depending on the person, whether or not they could help you with this. I think this is very hard, but I think you have to find people in the same boat as you, which they exist. And we've had people write in, in this scenario before that they are, you know, happily married. They love their husbands, but they realize that they're bisexual or queer, uh, you know, later on in life. And then they feel like there's kind of this, this like whole um, or th- this part of their personality that, that has just been like ignored and they uncovered it. And now they feel like, well, it's, do I have to just like cover it back up again and pretend it's not there or, or what do I do with this? Um, but I think the only people who would really relate to that are other people going through it. Mm-hmm. I mean, should we connect them? They're all in our inbox. <laughs> Right, right. Hold on. Like that's a new Patreon tier. <laughs> yes. We'll play a friend matchmaker yeah. for all the women listeners who are married to men and and later in life realize yeah. they were queer. And then you can form your own hyper specific queer community, which is the queerest thing you could do, honestly. I really uh, think it's a good I think we should be the hitch of uh Dyke Friendship. Yeah. Well, let us know, you haulers, if you're interested in that. I guess we could do a little linky-linky if we have your consent to share information. I mean, we talked about it in the interview portion. It is really hard to find a therapist, and you, we heard, you heard true stories of people who found queer therapists that it didn't work out for. It is a lot like dating. I mean, a lot of queer people, unless they're in your... Scenario can really understand what you're going through. Like I was trying to put myself in your shoes and understand what you're going through. I'm like, I I'll never know what this feels like because that's just like not not my life. Even though like being gay is obviously like not based on like who your current partner is, but um, like my queerness is for me, it's a lot to do with who my partners have been and and how the world views me because I'm so um, obviously gay and and that's how I move through the world as, as a gay person. But if the rest of the world recognizes you as being uh, straight because you have a husband, because you don't have uh, a history with, with women, then I, yeah, I don't really know. Please stay a patron, though. <laughs> you know, listening to Diking Out and Finding Community is probably the best thing you could do. <laughs> so, still worthy in your lives, we are. Okay, bisexual Yoda. <laughs> still worthy, we are. <laughs> bisexual Yoda. I love it. Oh, that's good. That's my brand. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck baby Yoda. Uh, <laughs> it's all about bisexual Yoda now. I am a bisexual baby Yoda, but 
I am also a Capricorn. And for me, my takeaway is I don't want to waste therapy minutes that I'm paying for to address something that I see as like common, like just, I don't know. It feels like a waste of money to have to even go into it and explain it. And then I guess my advice would be to find a new therapist (laughs) if you're not able to communicate that well. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to have to like waste time to have this like confrontation with your therapist about like like how she made you feel and like, and, and teaching her because that's, that's, That's your not money the labor we're there yeah. for, right? Yeah, that I would just be so annoyed, and it would affect my relationship with this. Ther- I would just like start to resent the therapist, and yeah, it just depends on how petty you are. So if you're anything <laughs> like me and maximum petty, like you wouldn't want to proceed, <laughs> probably. So I get that if you want to yeah. find a new therapist, because it really would consume me. But that is a specific crazy person. Um, it would consume my thoughts, I think, in the session and out. I would just get, probably get really worked up about this if it were me. Yeah, that's a great point. So yeah. best of luck, though. Uh, I know you said that you don't have any queer friends. If you're interested in maybe connecting with anybody who reaches out to us about this, email us uh, with subject line bisexual Yoda, and then we'll <laughs> hook you all up together. That'll make it easy to find. In- so easy in our inbox and if you have any questions you can email us at dykingout at gmail.com or you can go to wizio.com slash dykingout if you want a more personalized private uh, video response from us we do do that in exchange for some money uh, you could follow us on social media at dykingout everywhere and at dykingout pod on tiktok as long as that's still a thing that's really what's stopping us from making tiktoks though we did say we would make a tiktok dance if we hit uh ten thousand followers on instagram so we're waiting yeah that's that's what what we're waiting for we're dormant for come on yeah (laughs) and then we'll just be knocking them out just hear a talk there and you won't know what hit you (laughs) and you can follow uh, me at TGI Carolyn and my sappy posts about how much I love my wife who has not been feeling great. So great, Aww. just uplifting content there as well. Yeah, we love Cecilia. You can follow me at Melody Kamali. Thank you so much for diking out this week. What should they be? Be kind to one another. Yep, be kind to one another. <laughs> Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.